Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people. Learn more about the program, podcast, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, and how to donate when you visit walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael and his teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 called Paul's Gospel Example. Let's backtrack for a moment. In 1 Corinthians 8, 1, we're introduced to the subject. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, now concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge makes arrogant, but love edifies. The NIV says knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Now, Paul gives a warning uh, down to verse 11. Think of the word knowledge here. For through your knowledge... And their knowledge was correct theologically about idols being nothing in the world. He who is weak is ruined. The brother for whose sake Christ died, your fellow Christian. And so, 12, by sinning against the brethren, 8, 12, and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, conclusion, if food... Here, food sacrificed to idols, but more widely, Paul speaking with extreme language, if food causes my brother to stumble, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause my brother to stumble. Now keep reading into verse 1 of chapter 9. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Now we'll park there and we'll ask the question, what is Paul doing in chapter 9? Because it does seem like a major turn in terms of the uh, content that we see. How does it connect to chapter 8? I told you chapters 8, 9, and 10 are all about the same subject. And you could put it in one category, that is idolatry. And some in the Corinthian church, through their knowledge, theological knowledge, were using their liberty, the actual word is authority, to stumble other people. And it was kind of like this. I know an idol is nothing theologically. I understand that. It's just a statue. It's not a real god or goddess. Therefore, I can go back to the idol's temple in social context with friends and family and whomever, business associates, and I'm fine because I know what an idol is. But the situation wasn't fine because as they went back to the idols, it was stumbling other people. And namely, they went back to the setting where idols were worshipped and food was sacrificed to them. In fact, some other believers were so stumbled by this that Paul's language says that they were being ruined by it. And as believers were doing things in their so-called liberty, they were hurting others and so sinning against Christ. When you hurt someone who is a fellow Christian, when you sin against them, you're actually sinning against Jesus because Jesus said, when you do it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it, what? To me. You see, we can be very calloused about how our behavior affects other people until we realize that our Lord, since he is the head of the body, everything that comes at his body, he feels. 
And you know that any part of your body that hurts, your whole body is involved. Amen? <laughs> Use the illustration of walking at night and hitting your little pinky toe on the corner of a wall in the darkness of the night. Wow! Right? <laughs> and look, there's not one part of your body that could ignore what just happened. Your whole self is involved. And the whole household probably knows once they hear you scream that you're totally involved. Well, Jesus is the head of the body. And every time a wound comes into his body, he feels it. He hurts. He rejoices when we rejoice. And he grieves when we grieve. In fact, a sin against his brethren is a sin against him. And I hope you can see that that should give us a whole new outlook on how we treat one another. And the church, sadly, has been famous for not always been being great at treating one another with love. This is how we distinguish ourselves, but we can take other Christians for granted. What you could say of the Corinthians is that they had a bit of an entitlement attitude. You know what an entitlement attitude is? It means that everything I want, everything that I can dream of, I deserve. And if you get in my way, I will simply write you out of the script. Because we have, sadly, raised a generation of kids that are, many of them, entitled. They think that everything that they could dream up they should have, and if somebody is in their way, they can just write them out of the story, write them out of the narrative. But we know this, if you have an entitlement attitude, at some point, the bubble is going to pop. I could say all day long, I believe I can play for the Lakers. I believe I can play for the Lakers. I believe I can play for the Lakers. I got news for you, I'm 5'7". And my vertical is about three inches. <laughs> Maybe a little bit more. I am not playing for the Lakers. Especially at this point in my life. It doesn't matter how much I believe it. I don't believe they're going to sign me. It's just, hey, the bubble has already popped. <laughs> you see, we have to understand that at some point, reality clashes with entitlement. And there were Christians around in the first century who were saying, I can do whatever I want because my knowledge tells me what's right or what's wrong, and I could even make a biblical argument. But Paul says you could have knowledge, you could have all knowledge, but if you don't have love, you are nothing. Knowledge can be dangerous if it puffs you up instead of using it to build others up. And so Paul is going to use his own life as an example. He's going to use a gospel example. In 1 Corinthians 9.22, would you look ahead for a second? Paul says, he says, uh, To the weak I became weak, that I may win the weak. I become all things to all men, so that by all means I may save some. And then he says, I do all things 
for the sake of the gospel. I do all things for the sake of the good news of the gospel. This is Paul's gospel example. And the implicit question is, do you? Your behavior that you're defending at the expense of other Christians, is this really what you're going to tell Christ on that final day? Why well, had justification because I understood this. Paul says no. There, there's a deeper, greater question here, and it is, do you have a gospel attitude? One writer says, freedom is not license to do what I want, but liberation to do what I ought. Hear that one more time. Freedom is not license to do what I want. It is liberation to do what I ought. Meaning is not found in always getting my way. Meaning is not found in making a bunch of money. Meaning is found in mission. When people see you coming, do they say, here comes good news? Or, here comes bad news? You see, we are to be a gospel community. And that's what Paul is saying to these other Christians. And if you're going to understand what a gospel community is, we have to understand what the gospel is. Amen? And here's what the gospel is, simply put. The gospel is good news that God so loves you, He sent His only Son. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, whom we saw His deity in chapter 8 and many other places in the Bible, laid aside His rights, His prerogatives of deity for you. He put aside the prerogatives of deity at least for a season while He was here on the planet. He was in a body, right? He limited Himself. But not only did He do that, this Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, but he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was inconvenient for Jesus, but Jesus is the gospel. He is the good news. He is the good story. He is what we share to others. What drove Jesus to lay aside his rights is captured in one word. It's love. And that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is going to teach us. And that's what 1 Corinthians 16 tells us. Let everything you do be done in love. How much better would our lives be if everything we did was done in love? How about 80%? <laughs> How much would your life improve if at least you tip the scales on the side of love? Well... There were many people who were saying, no, it's about my, my wants, my social standing. But the gospel says, no, it's about me laying down my rights. Philemon 1.18, Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. The gospel is a good news attitude. It's laying down my rights for another. Turn to the gospel of John chapter 13. Jesus is getting ready to die the apostles have been arguing about which of them is the greatest. Up and down, they chew on one another. I'm better than you. My dog's better than your dog. Remember that old commercial? 
I'm going to have a higher spot. I'm, I do more things. I represent the Lord better. You name the argument. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. The Ministry of Walking Truth and Pastor Michael Lance would like to give you a copy of his book, Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. You know, I wrote Suit Up because I sense the need in the body of Christ and really in my own life to be suited up with the armor of God. Armors for one thing, protection. From what? Well, from temptation, from the enemy, from falling, from being wounded, from hurting others. So we suit up, that's the image, we put on the armor of God so that we can be protected and effective in our Christian walk and help others in the battle and the journey. We will send you a copy of Suit Up as a thank you when you send a financial gift of $5 or more to Walk in Truth. Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry, and we appreciate your help to broadcast and grow the ministry to more radio stations. Please give online at walkintruth.com or call 844-48-TRUTH. That's walkintruth.com. Click the Donate button or call 844-48-TRUTH. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. How much would your life improve if at least you tip the scales on the side of love? Well, there were many people who were saying, no, it's about my, my wants, my social standing. But the gospel says, no, it's about me laying down my rights. Philemon 1.18, Paul says, if he owes you anything, charge it to me. The gospel is a good news attitude. It's laying down my rights for another. Turn to the Gospel of John chapter 13. Jesus is getting ready to die. The apostles have been arguing about which of them is the greatest. Up and down. They chew on one another. I'm better than you. My dog's better than your dog. You remember that old commercial? I'm going to have a higher spot. I'm, I do more things. I represent the Lord better. You name the argument. So Jesus, John 13, 12, washes their feet. And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know or do you understand what I've done to you or for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. John 13, 14. If I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Please note it. I, I gave you an example that you, should, that you also should do as I did to you. I gave you an example. The most powerful sermon, back to 1 Corinthians, is the power of example. I was joking with some, some folks, and we were, I, I'm trying to remember the exact setting, but we're... The question came up, Pastor Michael, uh, when the kids were growing up, did you just roll a pulpit into the living room? All right, everybody line up. Open your Bibles too. No, we, we did devotions together as a family, but I'll tell you this. The most powerful thing that you can do is the power of example. It's the question that your kids are going to ask when you're outside the church, when you're at a store, when you're 
driving your car, when you're on the Little League field, when you're interacting with your neighbors, is this faith real? Or is this just a, a show? Or something that they tell me I ought to do, but they don't really live it out? Well, that's the question. And Paul's going to appeal to his own life as an example of what they should be doing. He's going to ask a series of what we would call rhetorical questions in chapter 9, verse, verses 1 and following, with the implied answer, yes. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, am I not free? You could say free to do what I want. Am I not an apostle? Of course he is. He opened the letter that way, 1, 1. Have I not seen Jesus our Lord, which is a sign of an apostle? Are you not my work in the Lord? I think that the Corinthians would say yes to every one of those questions. Now, if you read some commentaries, some of the commentators were saying that some in Corinth were questioning even Paul's apostleship, Paul's authority over them. And that's one thing that entitlement does, is if I can sideline or marginalize the source of authority or truth, then I can do what I want. If I could say something like this, oh, that person doesn't know what they're talking about. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't have the information that I have. If I can marginalize a group of people, namely in our culture, Christians, if I could paint them as whacked out, they don't know what they're talking about, uh, all they are is exclusive, bigoted, you, you fill in the blank. If I could put that aside, then I don't have to consider it in my worldview. And that's what a lot of the world has done to the Christian church. Marginalize the church so that our voice could be painted as ridiculous. Have you noticed it in the culture? It's happening more and more. In fact, probably, what, 90 plus percent of the university system is not just, has not just marginalized the voice of Christians, but really made fun of us now. We're crazy. We don't know what we're talking about. Well, Paul is saying, look, I have all of these things in my resume. Yes, it's true. I am an apostle. Yes, I saw the Lord on the road to Damascus. Yes, I planted the church that you are now, now a part of. If to others I'm not an apostle, look at verse 2, or to other churches perhaps, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Don't forget about me, Paul might say. Uh, remember me, the founder of the Corinthian church? Remember me? I'm the one that came into town, preached the gospel to you, and discipled you for 18 months. Remember me? Sometimes as parents, that's how we feel, right? Remember me, the one who gave birth to you, fed you for the first 18 years, 28 years, 38 years of your life. <laughs> I'm over here. It can be hard, right? You, you pour into people, you, you lay groundwork, but eventually they understand, don't they? Eventually, we all probably look back and realize everything that a parent did for us or everything that a spiritual parent may have poured into us. That's Paul. Paul's saying, you're the seal of my apostleship. In fact, if you're going to question who I am, then maybe we should question the validity of who you are. 
Because if I'm not an apostle, then what are you? Are you Christians? You're the seal, the authentication in the ancient world. A seal gave authentication to usually uh, like a container or something that was being shipped. The seal was ownership and authenticity. The church did not belong to Paul, but he was certainly their founder. Look at verse 3. My defense, literally my apologetic, apologia is the Greek word, to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Of course you do, they would say to Paul. These are basic necessities. Can't we eat and drink too? Do we not have a right? Notice the repetition of the word right, which I think every time is exousia. It's the word really for authority, but it could be translated right. Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Remember, Paul was single at this point. Even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas, or that's Peter. Just a side note, Peter was married. So what was implied in this is that as Peter traveled, did he have a right to take his wife along and have her expenses covered? I would say yes. Then Paul would say, well, how much more us or how much more me? One writer in talking about Paul says that Maybe the Corinthians are offended that Paul won't take their money. Because remember, as Paul is in Corinth, he won't take their money. Now, other churches did support Paul, but where he was, apparently he wouldn't take the money directly when he was ministering in that town. And that offended some of the Corinthians. Do you know why? They were so used to paying philosophers and teachers that came into town and when they gave money to these philosophers and teachers, there was a win-win. The philosopher or teacher got the money, but the people who gave the money were able in some way to control them. You're listening to Walk in Truth, and this was part one of Pastor Michael's teaching in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 called Paul's Gospel Example. So uh, how are your reading habits? How often are you reading the Bible? Hey, and listening to Pastor Michael doesn't count. Okay, maybe a little. But we'd like to help your daily reading. Subscribe for free to get the Walk in Truth devotional today. Read a verse from the Bible followed by a thought for the day related to it. You can get the devotional by email or by text directly to your phone. Visit walkintruth.com or text Step Closer as one word to 33222. Again, text step closer as one word to 33222. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Well, we can't help but think about New Year's resolutions. Have you broken yours already? We're only a couple days into the new year. Man, it's pretty easy to break it. And part of the problem is that we make a lot of resolutions that are about us our weight, our looks, um, you know, our discipline in terms of working out or whatever. You know, some of those things can certainly be good, but maybe we're off track. Maybe we need to make our resolutions more about gospel-centered things like, is your resolution to share the gospel more in 2020? That's what I want mine to be. I want to have a heart to reach out to people more and more. Imagine if you were able to reach five people with the gospel, let's just say in the coming year. And imagine how their lives would impact their family and friends and what you've done just in impacting the kingdom of God and eternity. These are great things. And 
This is a great resolution to share the gospel more. Hey, I want to encourage you. One of the things that will help you in uh, sharing the gospel more is make sure that you're more built up in your own faith. And one of the things that that takes is to be in corporate worship. Go to church. You know, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the habit of some. And if your church attendance has been waning, how about a New Year's resolution to make sure you're plugged in every week in fellowship? serving, using your gifts, not just showing up to attend and listen, but being part of serving the king and his body. This is a great resolution for 2020. Well, hey, it's the first Sunday of the year. It's the Lord's Day. And if you made a resolution to be more consistent in fellowship, going to church, serving, you know, I want to I want to correct myself. It's not about going to church. We are the church. And when you gather with other believers, it's about being the church. So if you made a resolution to get more involved, to assemble with God's people, to use your gifts in 2020 and not make any more excuses, to tighten up your schedule around spiritual things and not just all the things that people are chasing their tails about, then why don't you come out to Living Truth anywhere in the area? Now's the time. 9 and 11, 15 a.m. are the service times. There's stuff for every age group. You can find out all the information about Sunday school, youth group, young adult studies, and much, much more when you download the Living Truth app in your app store today. Look for the red logo with the pillars. The church is right off the 91 and Lincoln Avenue, 1009 Arsenal Way. Download the app today. Come out and fellowship with us. I'd love to meet you and your family. Come out today.